This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Military Coalition, a group representing millions of service members and their families, has appealed right to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Their concern? Rising out-of-pocket costs for TRICARE, planned cuts to medical billets in the military, and possibly lower funding for the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. Here with more, the Director of Health Affairs of the Military Officers Association of America, Karen Rudicelli. Ms. Rudicelli, good to have you on. Good morning. Nice to be on with you today. And you're also speaking on behalf of the coalition itself, correct? I am, yes. Together with Eileen Huck from the National Military Family Association, I co-chair TMC's health care committee. And we developed this letter that went to Secretary of Defense Austin. All right. And the top issue in that letter is increases in TRICARE fees that have occurred after several years of congressional and bureaucratic reorganizations of the whole military health care system itself. Tell us basically what's going on and what the effects have been on people that are covered by the military health system. Well, you know, the coalition just wanted to get out ahead of the budget process and make clear our position that there should be no further disproportionate fee increases to TRICARE. The benefit, the TRICARE out-of-pocket costs were stable, unchanged for more than 20 years as people fulfilled an entire career of military service. And then starting in 2018, we saw a series of pretty dramatic increases. Office visit copays more than doubled, pharmacy copays increased. We had an unprecedented enrollment fee established for one of the TRICARE plans. The catastrophic cap went up. So you can imagine for people who saw one version of TRICARE during their entire careers to see these dramatic fee increases once they were retired and had fulfilled an entire career of military service was pretty upsetting. And I would guess that the effect is more pronounced on those coming out at the lower ranks with lower pensions, lower salaries than those at the, say, flag rank. Absolutely. I think it's really important for people to understand that the majority of retirees come from the enlisted ranks. They are not retired general or flag officers. So basically, you're looking for stable fees. But sometimes along with that, we've heard the suggestion from members of Congress and different groups that perhaps a fewer number of people should be eligible because TRICARE is getting and the military health system is getting very expensive. What's your take on that? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, our organizations are not unreasonable. We are not demanding absolutely no fee increases ever. What we're saying, though, is that they should not ever exceed the retiree cost of living adjustment that occurs every year, because otherwise you're really cutting into the value of the retirement benefit. And to reduce the retirement benefit after somebody has fulfilled the terms of service is unacceptable. We don't believe that constrained eligibility is the way to go either. And and in fact, we believe it's very important that TRICARE eligibility keep up with benchmarks that are set by commercial plans. For instance, right now, commercial plans are required to cover child dependents up to age 26, and TRICARE does not. TRICARE ends eligibility for military kids when they reach age 21, or 23 if they're enrolled in college full-time. We are advocating right now, the TMC is, to expand eligibility for young adult dependents to match what's out there in the civilian sector. Good point there, too, that mismatch between what everyone else in the world seems to have and what those in the military have. 
We're speaking with Karen Rudicelli. She is the Director of Health Affairs for the Military Officers Association of America. And the idea of this cut that is anticipated, 18,000 people out of the military roster of health care providers, that's something your group is not too happy with either, is it? That's right. Those medical billet cuts were proposed in the last two administration budget requests, and they have been quite alarming to our organizations, who not only represent beneficiaries, but also count many former uniformed medical personnel among our members. We are very concerned that this could impact not only the access to care for military families and other beneficiaries, but it could also be a threat to readiness. And we don't know precisely what's going to be in the 2022 budget request, except that the military, as a giant number, will be basically flat, except for salary increases. You don't have any early warning drumbeats on what they might do in that particular issue yet, do you? I wish we did. There are some indications that these billet cuts are being reconsidered. Last year, we spent months trying to raise awareness of the fact that, you know, the military medical system has to have a certain level of surge capacity. And we've seen that during the COVID pandemic. A lot of military medical personnel were deployed to set up field hospitals, to staff civilian hospitals that were overburdened. Most recently, thousands of military personnel have been deployed to support FEMA vaccination sites around the country. So I think that COVID has really underscored the need to maintain that surge capacity within the system. And when those folks deploy, we need to make sure that our military families and other beneficiaries maintain access to care. That's also important. And the third issue in the letter is the sustainment of funding to the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences. Indications are that those are under consideration for cuts, or what's going on there? Well, the defense-wide review that was initiated by former Secretary of Defense Esper targeted the Uniform Services University for cuts. There were cuts that were proposed during last year's administration budget requests, and fortunately, those were restored during the NDAA process. We advocated for that last year. We sent letters in support of USU because it's a critical pipeline for uniform medical providers. The USU produces physicians who are more likely to serve full careers, They are more likely to deploy more often than physicians from other accession sources. So the USU plays a critical role, and we need to make sure that it's protected during the budgeting process. All right. And so all of these concerns, again, went directly to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense. Has he gotten back to you yet on any of it? Yes, we did receive a response from the Secretary of Defense acknowledging our concerns and emphasizing that they are taking them under consideration. Yeah, so a good, uh, at least he acknowledged them, but no promises yet. And of course, he is a retired general officer, so he must feel the same pain that everyone else does from a personal standpoint. Right. I would imagine he does. But as as you've mentioned before, I think the impact of some of these out-of-pocket cost increases has really been more pronounced on the folks who don't retire, you know, as general officers. But I'm confident that he has the well-being of the military in mind. Sure. And are you also the group, the TMC, the Military Coalition, and the various subgroups, are you also making a plea to Congress to look at some of these issues also? 
Oh, absolutely. We have been meeting with Armed Services Committee staff and member offices to emphasize our positions on these issues. We really want to make sure that we've seen the end of disproportionate TRICARE fee increases and other cuts to the military health system. Karen Rudicelli is the Director of Health Affairs at the Military Officers Association of America. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Tom. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, Great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, Find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors And it's drawing, like never before, on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move Groups of people. How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is 
extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.